All right, so obviously last week we, we launched this church, um, and if you are still new here, if you are just kicking the tires to Life Point, uh, one of the things I want you to understand uh, of who we are, like what our DNA is, what we are about as a church, is we, we are what we call ascending church, which just means that we believe that God has saved us for a purpose, that when He does save us, that it's not just to sit and soak and, and, and just to come and enjoy, uh, you know, uh, not, not to be a part of a show or anything like that. We believe that when you are saved, God enlists you into His work in the world. Ephesians 2.10 says he has prepared for you good works before the creation of the world so that God has saved you for a particular purpose, a particular plan. And so we do some things to help you do that. And, and one of the things we do is this week and next week we're doing what we call Sending Sunday. Basically all that is is we want to inform you on what we're doing as a church, where we're going as a church. I, I would ask you to pray about being a part of, you and your family being a part of, one of these sending experiences. And, and, and uh, let's say one of these things on here interests you. You say, man, I want to go to Brussels, Belgium. Uh, there's more information out in the hall at the Go Center. Um, you can f they'll have a whole list of sheets of, of, of meeting dates and prices and all those kinds of things uh, for you to get a hold of out there in the hallway. Uh, but this just kind of gives you a quick list of what the opportunities are. Uh, take this home, pray about maybe being a part of one of those, uh, and, and see what you got to do to to do that. Okay, uh, and. And that's just who we are as a church. Our DNA is sending church. It's not just, you don't just get saved for, for your fire insurance or, or anything like that. You are, are saved intentionally by God for his work in the world. We believe that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We believe also that he is working through believers to dispel all the darkness in the world. That means the, the, the darkness of those who don't know him. So you might say, I'm going to go to Belgium to take the gospel to Belgium. I'm going to go to Bangkok to take the gospel to the red light district in Bangkok. And I'm going to love uh, girls with the love of Christ uh, that they've never experienced before, right? I'm going to go to Belgium and tell a post-Christian culture. Uh, but, it, but it also means that, man, I'm going to go into my workplace. I'm going to go into that kingdom of darkness and take the kingdom of light. That's how I feel every day when I go into work, right? It's kingdom of dark. Chad's there. I'm trying to win him to the Lord, you know, uh, all those kinds of things. But, but no, seriously, like, Every venue that God has given you, the ball field, right? Tonight, I've got t-ball practice. Josiah's playing t-ball, right? So I'm going to be at the ball field. Every venue that God gives you to take the kingdom of light into those venues to share the gospel with every opportunity that God gives you. That's what we are. We are sending church. We are sending you to your workplaces, to your families, to, your, to, to the ball field, to wherever you go uh, that you would be light in those places, right? We're not just a come, put your slacks on Sunday, sit and soak kind of church where we are, a get involved in the mission of God to, to crush the kingdom of darkness uh, kind of church. And so that's what we want to be about. And so please pray about uh, being a part of one of those sending experiences or pray about how is God sending you on an everyday basis uh, to go and take the light into those places. And that's exactly what we're talking about in Romans. I mean, uh, we are a saved people, and, w and we get to be a part of something. That's what Romans is telling us. I told you that was coming. Be still my heart. All right, uh, lunchtime. Uh, 
No, but uh, that's what Romans is telling us and, 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 and continues to tell us. And uh, Romans 10, Paul tells us uh, that, people, how, you know, that people are going to believe in Jesus when they've heard about him and how will they hear unless we go, right? And so all of these things that Romans tells us that when we are justified by Christ, when we are saved by Jesus, what our lives should look like, what the benefits of the cross put on us, and what our lives should look like. And that, that's no different today. So we are in uh, Romans 5, and again, we're going to try to get through 5. We're going to try to get through 8 uh, before Christmas, before November-ish time. Uh, and so I'm going to do my best to get through it in that amount of time. And we, we're calling this series a glorious exchange because we are seeing the benefits of the gospel. We're seeing dead, spiritually dead people come to spiritual life. We're seeing what happens when the gospel takes root in our heart. Last week, the beginning of chapter 5, we saw some of the benefits of that gospel. We saw that what was once chaotic lives, spiritually speaking, is now a, a, a p having peace with God. Uh, what was once uh, alienation from God is now reconciliation with God, which is now relationship and closeness with God. You know, and what was once seeing trials uh, as a, a burden, we can look in the face of trials and still have joy. These are the benefits of that gospel, of the justification of God being poured out on us. And today is no different. Let's read verse, chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. And we're going to see two more benefits of that glorious exchange, okay? Verse 6. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by, his death of his, by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, that's a mouthful. Alright, and I read the whole, the whole thing so you can have some context uh, as we break it down. Um, so, so we talked about the benefits we talked about last week. This week we're talking about the benefits of being loved by God. Now, a couple of faulty lines of thinking that come along with viewing uh, the, the love of God. Many of us, many of you even, may think today that there's no way that God could love you. Like, you, you know who you are, you know what you've done, you know your marred past, your marred present, and your future's not looking much brighter, and, and you would sit there and you would say, there's no way God could love me. That's a faulty line of thinking. The second faulty line of thinking is sitting there thinking, oh, God could absolutely love me, I'm very lovable, <laughs> Right? Like you're this big teddy bear and God's just like, oh, he's so cute. I'm going to love him. Right? No, thinking that we are lovable by God uh, begins to elevate who we are apart from God. Right? And so if you come into this thing thinking, God's lucky to have me. Right? That's the other faulty line of thinking about the love of God. And, and um, really, how we grasp the gospel is dependent upon... Um, how we see ourselves 
in light of the love of God. So, uh, and, and, we, and Paul here is again reiterating how truly unlovable we were, all of us, right? And so those of you who think there's no way God could love me, that's not true, but it is true that there is nothing in us that God should love, Right? So God's love is not dependent upon us. And so that's what Paul is going to talk about here. And, and he uses four words to describe how unlovable we are. The first one is weak, right? He says, for while we were still weak, Christ, uh, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So we were separated from God by sin. We were too weak and powerless to do anything about that in ourselves. So we, we were weak. And you know, one of the criticisms of the world that the world throws at Christians in their face is they say this. They say, that Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. And what I want to say is, you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right in that I am too weak in and of myself to get myself to heaven. I am too weak in and of myself to make myself right before God. I'm too weak in myself to be perfect in the eyes of God. So if, if being weak means I depend upon Christ to get me to heaven, to make me right with God, then absolutely my legs are broken. I'm so weak. I need the crutch of Christ to get me to heaven and to get me right with God. So, amen. I'm weak. The other thing the, the, the world uh, kind of uses as a slam against us is it says, well, you're just weak-minded. Amen. Now, God, make me right-minded. Well, you just need, you, you, have, you just need God. Amen. The, the, problem, the problem that the world sees is that we depend upon Christ. To us, that is... That is our, our glory. That is, that is everything to us. What the world doesn't understand is that they don't understand that they absolutely need Christ. And so they play this game of, I, I'm, I'm so big and bad, I'm, I'm strong enough, I don't need Jesus. And the reality is that they just sit in their sin. There's no way for them to get to God. Because it's when the Christian says, yeah, there's no way I can get to God in and of myself. That's when we are saved. That's when we come to Christ. It's when we depend upon Him. So yeah, we're weak. And uh, if you look all throughout the Scripture, God loves the weak. Uh, he off, it says in the Scripture, He says that He uses the weak to shame the strong. Isn't that amazing? Not only, not only are we saying, yes, we're weak, but He only uses the weak, right? He uses the weak to accomplish His purposes in the world. So we want to be a people that come to Christ and say, yes, we are weak. There's nothing in us that deserves good. There's nothing in us that deserves heaven, but because we are dependent upon Christ, because He is our crutch. Matter of fact, He is our legs. He is everything to us. Yeah, we're weak. We are weak. And uh, again, you see it in John 3 when, when, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was one of the religious elites in Judaism. He was in the in crowd, the religious crowd. And he comes to Jesus at night and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus looks at him and he says, you must be born 
again. Now, we've heard that word before, but Nicodemus, for the first time, is hearing, born again? You mean I have to enter again into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. What he's telling Nicodemus is, you have been dependent upon yourself for so long, and you need to understand that just like you did nothing when you were born physically. None of us did anything. We were just born. Same thing spiritually. That it is nothing in us, no work we've done, no good mounted up in us that merits salvation, but by being born again. By God reaching down and taking a dead heart and bringing us to life. That's the only way we can be saved. It's in God and God alone. It's not in our merit or in our good. It's in who He is. Now, there's some theology that goes throughout I say theology, really it's not theology, but there's some phrases that we think is theology. It goes through our world like this. God helps those who help themselves. No, that's not true. God helps those who can't help themselves. That's who God is. If you think you can help yourself, God's going to let you do it. And until you're willing to come to God and say, I can't do this, that's when he'll help you. Uh, another kind of slogan in our culture, I think uh, the, the great theologian Lady Gaga said, we were born that way, <laughs> right? And this is kind of the, the theology of our culture, that we were born that way, whatever our sin is. And, and I think there's some, there's some truth in that. I think it's a half-truth because the world says we were born that way, which I would agree with. We absolutely were born that way. We were born sinners. We were born helpless. Our nature was against God. But then the culture says, and therefore the way you are today is excused and there's nothing you can do about it. I think that's the lie. Because while in and of ourselves there's nothing we can do about our nature, Jesus is in the business of changing natures. That's what he does. The Bible says you are old and he makes you new. You were dead, he brings you to life. You were blind, he gives you eyes to see. That's what Jesus does. So yes, we were all born that way. But Jesus steps in and changes the way we were born to become like Him. Changes our nature to look like Him. Changes our mind to think about Him. Changes our heart to begin to love Him. That's what He does. He makes you born again. He changes your nature. And... Uh, and so, man, what our world does is we, we, we try to change ourselves through behavior modification, right? If I just clean up this little piece of my life, if I, if I stop cussing, if I, if I stop drinking and chewing and dating girls that do, you know, all that, if, 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 I, if I stop, if I only have three beers instead of 16, you know, if I, if I clean up the outside of my life, then God will be happy with me. No, that's not true. The outside behavior modification does not give you an internal transformation. The only way you're going to be changed is from the inside out, from God changing your heart from stone to flesh, from making you spiritually dead to spiritually alive, and through that, He begins to make your outside look more like Jesus. That's what He does. That's how it works. 
And so you can put on your best Sunday clothes. You can do whatever you want to do to try to change from the outside in, but that's not how it works. We have to be dependent and weak and, and trust in Christ. Okay, so uh, let's move on. Paul also says that we are ungodly. Uh, most people don't see themselves as ungodly, but, but uh, basically what this means is that when you were born, from the time you were born until you become a Christian, your whole life is spent with you as God. And so, and so here, here is God, and, 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 and He's not being acknowledged in your life as God, which makes you ungodly. It means that the primary focus of your life is not God. So when you were born in this world, all of us were set ungodly. We all came into this world with ourselves as God. Uh, the other thing Paul says, he says that we are sinners. Uh, you know, basically we are rebels against the authority of God. We, we again, we worship ourselves rather than God. We... we um, um, some of us, you know, begin to think we're not that bad because we start comparing ourselves to the people around us, right? And if you hang with a bunch of sorry people, you're going to think pretty good about yourself, right? And, and, but that's not the way that God works. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't compare you to those around you. He compares you to Jesus. And so when I start looking at Jesus and I look at me and I think there's a big gap there. There's a big difference there. I don't compare when I look at Christ. And so we're sinners. Paul says you were born sinners. You were born rebels against God. And then finally he says that we were enemies of God. And uh, a lot of people don't think they're an enemy of God either. But the scripture says that if you are not for Jesus, you are against Jesus. Those who are not for me are against me. Enemies of God. Rebels. God haters. So, Paul says, by our nature, we are weak, we are ungodly, we are sinners, and we are enemies uh, against God. And, and, and when we understand that, now we can begin to look at how amazing the love of God is. When we understand who we were, that we were not in and of ourselves lovable people, we can begin to see how great and amazing the love of God is. Let's look at verse 6 where he says, Again, he says, for while we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He loved us when we were ungodly sinners. He died for us when we were ungodly sinners. So God doesn't love you because you're lovable. He loves you in spite of that. He, he loves you. you are, we were all unlovable. <laughs> and he poured out his love on us. And that's why God's love is amazing, because it's not dependent upon what we do. It's not dependent upon what we do. It's not conditional in, if you have a bad day, God loves you less. Or if you have a good day, God loves you more. Right? It's not conditional in those regards. And this is what makes the love of God so amazing. Uh, but l let, me, let me clear some things up, though, because uh, I don't want you to be confused. Uh, God, just because Jesus loved and died for the ungodly and everyone is ungodly does not mean that Jesus died for every person on the world. What I mean by that is his sacrifice is sufficient to save everyone, but it only, 
is efficient for those who are in Christ. Because if Christ died for the whole world in that they are all under the cross, then everyone goes to heaven. That's universalism, and that's unbiblical. Okay? What, what, what it's saying here is that he died for those that were ungodly, those that, were, that, were, that God is saving, that were, we were ungodly when he put us in the cross, when he saved us. We were ungodly people. And so for everyone who will come into Christ, who will, by faith and, and trust in Christ, everyone who comes under the banner of the cross is the ones that Christ died for us while we were ungodly. We didn't have to clean up our lives before we came to Christ. He died for us when we were in the middle of our sin, when we were in the middle of our rebellion, when we were at the height of being an enemy of God. That's when he died for us. That's when he poured out his life for us. And so, um, so I hope you understand that, 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 that God's love is greater than our sin. He poured out on us for those who would believe. He poured us into the cross. This is why at the cross, he stand, at, at the cross when he, at his last words were, it is finished. What's finished? Everyone who would be saved is in the cross, and I've just died for them. I've taken all of their sin, past, present, future sins. I've put it in me. It is finished. And so, again, we stand on the truth that the love of God poured out for us in the cross of Christ is not dependent upon us being good people. Praise God. It's not dependent upon us doing all the right things. It's not dependent upon us at all. But that's the thing about God, when his love pours out on us at the right time, when he saves us, he begins to mold us and transform us. And that's the other benefit of the gospel, which we're going to get to. So let's read 7 and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so here's a good question for you to ask at your small group or over lunch is who would you die for? Right? And maybe your list is small. Maybe it's like I hope for you husbands at least it would be like my wife, you know, my children. Who would you die for? Uh, and I think most everybody's list is kind of small. I hope that some, if some crazy person came in here, y'all would like dive in front of me. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'm wishful thinking, right? Uh, but who would you die for? And, and, and that's the thing it, about Christ that's so crazy. It would be like this. Like, let's say that uh, there was a prisoner of war, right? Like, like we, we, we all went to battle. One of us got captured, and, and, and everyone else got out. But this one guy, he's in there. He's getting beat on. He's, he's, he's lost teeth. He's, he's being starved, malnourished. He's, he's put in this cell and, and left to die, really, and, and, and rot. And, and he's just isolation. He's just there. And all of a sudden, comes the rescue crew, right? He hears them coming. He hears choppers or he hears foots on the ground, feet on the ground. And, and all of a sudden he's like, okay, they're here to rescue me. And, and the, the rescuing party throws a grenade into the enemy camp. And that POW says, uh-uh. And he goes and he dives and lays out on that grenade to save his enemies, his torturers. Now, we think that would be the craziest thing ever. 
But that is exactly what Jesus has done. We were a people that beat him, mocked him, crucified him, stabbed him, put thorns into his head, spit in his face. And he still took the grenade for us. We deserve to be blown up. Spiritually speaking, we deserve hell forever. But he laid himself down on that grenade, which was the cross. Though they spit in my face, though they mock me, though they crucify me, though they know not what they do, I'm laying my life down for them. That is a love that goes far beyond our comprehension. That is a love that goes far beyond anything we can dream of us doing. But God has done it. He's laid himself down. He sacrificed himself for enemies, for rebels, for weak sinners like us. That's what he's done. That's the beautiful thing of the cross. There are three types of love that, that, that uh, love of God that theologians talk about. The first one is a benevolent love. And uh, basically that one, it just means, bene means good, uh, uh, volence means will. So basically this attitude towards God that is, he's a kind God, he's a good God, right? Uh, the second kind of love that they talk about is that uh, his beneficence, meaning this is, both of these are really common grace, uh, which basically means that God is good to all people, whether they're believers or not believers. That means that God reigns on crops that grow for non-believers. That means people who hate God still, who aren't Christians, can still have children, can still have good health, can, can have blessing in life, right? That's one, that's these kinds of common grace kinds of love. But then there's a third kind of love of God, and it's uh, a complacent or unconditional love. It just means that for those who are believers, he is entirely satisfied with them. Not them in and of themselves, but because they have come under the cross, that when, when though we were all sinners, those that are believers, he, he took our sin, put it on Jesus, and punished our sin on the cross. And so now, because our sin has been paid for on the cross, he looks at his son and he's satisfied. Therefore, those who are in the Son, who are hidden by the cross, who have put their faith and trust in Him, He is also satisfied with them. He, he is, and it's unconditional. There is nothing that got you in that. There's nothing that can get you out of that. John 10 talks about you being in the hand of Christ who is in the hand of God. And nothing comes out of that hand. You are secure in your salvation. This is the other blessing of being justified by God. So you have the love of God, but you also have the security of knowing that you are saved. Because if it does not depend on you, then you can't lose it. If God gives it to you, there's nothing you have to do to keep it. See, there's this 
overarching theme in the church culture that says, no, I didn't do anything for my salvation, but I've got to work really hard to keep it. But the reality is, is that the gospel that saves you is the same gospel that keeps you. Now, now let's look. Uh, 9 and 10. And this is talking straight to that, okay? Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by his death, by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So the themes of these, these, this passage is reconciliation. So let me explain it. We taught last week justification, right? If you are justified by God, you are made right with Him. It's a legal term that are you right with God. Once you are right with God, once you are saved by God, it begins this process of reconciliation, bringing you back into a relationship with Him, making you more like Jesus, progressive sanctification. It, it, it's not going to happen overnight, but it is a process that makes you more like Jesus. That's what you have. You have the, the, this passage is talking about the benefits of justification is reconciliation, being made close to Christ, being made more like Jesus, all of those things. Okay, and, um, and, and so what this means for us is that when he declares us not guilty and, and takes our punishment on the cross, that means all of our sin, past, present, future sin, are in the cross. If that is the case, you can't be unsaved. You can't be taken out of that cross. If God has saved you, he will sustain you to the end. This is why when the Bible talks about different passages, it says those who persevere to the end will be saved. And what that doesn't mean is that if you work really hard to keep it, then you're going to be saved. That's not what that means. What that means is that if you are saved, God will persevere you to the end. That's how you know that you're a true believer. If you are saved, he will carry you to, the, to heaven. He will carry you to the end of your life. He, that will be your complete identity from now until you go to be with the Lord. You will be in Christ. And so that's who you are if you are in Christ. You, you can't get out of that if you have been saved. He, he has secured your salvation because it had nothing to do with you. And so uh, it, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're a legalistic church lady who's been in church all your life or, or if last night you woke up in the back of an El Camino, didn't know where you were with a new tattoo that said Roll Tide, and that would be a bad night, okay? It doesn't matter, right? Like what, mat what matters is are you in Christ? So if you are evaluating some things in your life, what you need to look at is, has my heart been brought to spiritual life? Has there been a nature change in me? Has there been a, a shift from death to life, from blind to see? Right? Has there been that change in me? And if there has been that change, that means that Jesus did it, and if Jesus did it, he will keep it. And so we as believers can glory in Jesus all the more because we say, praise be to you that when I have a bad day, you don't disown me. When I have a good day, you don't give me gold stars. But all my salvation is accredited to you. It's dependent upon you. It's in you that I am saved, not in me. Praise God. So 
what that does for us, it does several things. And basically, uh, the point is, is that this argument, it says much more. It says it twice. And basically, this argument is a greater to less than argument. So if this is true, then this also has to be true. That's what Paul's doing here, right? Notice he says, he says, uh, if we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from his wrath. If, if uh, he says, if we have been reconciled by Jesus' death, much more shall we be saved by his life. Uh, now, let me talk to you about this passage just a minute, because saved by his life, um, you know, some people think that it's his perfect life that he lived on the earth. I think it's, I think it's more than that. I think it's his resurrection life. Uh, scripture talks about that right now for those who are in Christ. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding, praying for you and for me. And I think that it is this resurrection life, Jesus praying over us, deeply involved with us, making us, reconciling us back to himself, redeeming us back to himself. This is the life that if, if we are justified by his death, much more, will, won't we be saved by his resurrection life? Won't he carry us to the end? Won't he make us more like Jesus? Won't he get us through hard times? Won't he, won't he press in on us and, and, and show us how much he's loved? us that's what Paul's saying he said if this is true then this is absolutely true and he's going to carry us in, in this life and, uh, and so we can know we can know uh, that our salvation is secure because if God did the greater thing by reconciling us to himself we know he's going to carry us to the end if he saved us we know he can get us to our death he can get us to the end of our lives. He's, he's capable. <laughs> he he's can do that, and he will do that, and he does do that. Right? So we can be secure in our salvation. And, uh, and so, uh, so here's what happens. When we finally believe that God justifies us, right? When we, when we finally believe that he adopted us, he saved us, we were weak, and, 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 and he poured out love on us, when we finally believe these things, we can begin to rest in what is the gospel. And the gospel is you did nothing for your salvation. You didn't deserve it. God gave it. You, you didn't earn it. Jesus earned it. This is the gospel. The bad news is that you were born a sinner, a rebel, an enemy of God. The good news is that Jesus, in spite of that, while we were still sinners, died for us and made us his own. That's the gospel. It's not, it's not church world of if I work real hard, God will be pleased with me. No, that's not the gospel. It's not if I clean up my life on the outside, then everything on the inside would be great. No, that is not the gospel. The gospel is you were damned. Every one of us. No good. And Jesus said, mine. I love you. I've died for you. And you can't escape my love. Mine. This is the gospel. And that's why it's secure. That's why we can have security in this because it didn't depend on us. If you earned it, you can lose it. 
But the benefits of justification is the love of God and that He loved us when we were still enemies of Him and that the security of our salvation is that it depended on Him and it will depend on Him to the end. Now, I saved a piece of this to the end because uh, I, I, I wanted to just share it with you. If you go back to 6 where it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Let me tell you why some of you get on my nerves. <laughs> uh, some of you will say, you know, you were saved, you know, while you were still in diapers or something, right? You, you, you were seven years old and, and, and you came to Christ and, and now you say things like, I have a boring testimony. I really don't, I really don't have one of those cool testimonies. That's ridiculous. The Bible says at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Your salvation at whatever time it come in your life, whether it was seven years old or 57 years old, it was in the perfect timing of God. And the testimony that he has given you is the testimony of God's saving, not of your wickedness. And so those of you who came to Christ early in life, those of you who had the blessing, this is the testimony I pray over my children why would you stand there and say, I really wish I would have been addicted to heroin and have an STD? <laughs> that's, 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 uh, I'm going to get in trouble. That, that's dumb. That's just dumb, right? Like, that's ridiculous, right? This is the testimony I pray with my children. I pray my children see their parents love Jesus. I pray that my, my children see their parents and are surrounded by godly men and women that come in their home, that eat with us, have drinks with us, and, and just, just enjoy fellowship together, that we love Jesus. I, I pray that my children will say one day, I came to Christ when I was young, and, and, and God has done a work in my heart and my life ever since that time. That's a testimony I pray over my children. But also hear me. If you're 57... If you came to Christ late and you have a lot of baggage that comes with that, in the right time, God saved you. In His perfect timing, He drew you to Himself. Now, the, the, the glory in that is that He will turn what, what the enemy used to kill you and destroy you and the ashes that He's burned in your life and He will turn those and make them into a testimony for the great grace of God. And it's a beautiful thing that it's not too late for any of us if you still have breath in your lungs to come to Christ today. That's why it says at the right time and maybe today is that right time for some of you. Maybe today is the right time to come to Christ, to be saved by Him. He says, believe upon me, upon the cross, and you'll be saved. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you so much, and we glory in all the benefits of the cross. And I pray if there are those who are not yet believers, that today would be the right time, Jesus, that you would save them, that you would do a great work with them. I pray, Father, that you would move in this place in a mighty way that we would be a people that rejoice in, that glory in our salvation. That we would be a people that say, isn't God great to save a wretch like me?
And Father, would you just continue to work in our church to understand the gospel. For as we understand the gospel, our lives will be lived out in the purest of worship. Do a work in this place, Father. Save. And for those who are saved, let them rest in the security of Christ. We love you, Jesus. Amen.